0: Posing a question, when you know the answer, spit it out. Who am I? I'm a, this is not a person, by the way, I'm a multi-million dollar industry. Millions of dollars are spent on me in advertising. Teenagers deeply battle with me. Not Facebook. I am used much in advertising. Parents should talk to their children about me. Pardon? Online computers tied in but not directly. The incorrect use of me has resulted in many men and women falling into sin. Pardon? Sex outside of marriage, sexuality, internet, that would be tied in. Sexuality is a reality in our lives. As strangers in a sex-crazy world, Peter tells his hearers and us today to prepare our minds for action, to be self-controlled, to set your hope fully in the grace to be given you, to be holy as I am holy and keep in mind, Peter, along with other writers of Scripture, will talk about the foundation, the nature of the new life in Christ, who you are in terms of your being, and then goes to what we, what I may call the building or living accordingly, the doing. And then first Peter, Peter emphasized the importance of who they were. They were God's elect. They were chosen by God. They were sanctified by God. They were sprinkled by Christ's blood. They received grace and peace. He also says, there's a new birth into a living hope. You have an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade away. You're shielded by God's power. You're receiving the goal of your faith. You're experiencing the new birth. And in light of that, he says, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you and be holy as I am holy. How do we obey First Peter 1, 13 through 16 in the area of sexuality? I would encourage you to listen. I could give you many reasons, but one reason is that sexuality is part of life. God addresses it clearly and distinctly. Listen for the same reason that you give your pet water rather than gasoline. That's the way God created them. You know, they need water, not gasoline. The world constantly presents their view... What does God say? And as I shared this morning, and this is a one sermon deal in terms of sexuality and applying First Peter, that I'm fully aware that many of us here have experienced darkness in sexuality in various ways. I'm probably more aware of that than I would like to be, but that's life. In the midst of that, we pursue Christ in our brokenness. Many people in our world of influence are not following or do not desire to follow God's will or desire for sexuality. We become sought and light to them. We don't fight them. We don't criticize them. We seek to point them to wholeness in Christ. We live in a broken world and will continue to live in a broken world as long as the Lord tarries. We cannot fix everyone Or every situation. But we can be faithful where we are. Whether we're 5 or 20 or 40 or 80 or beyond. We should be examples of living God's will in an empty, thirsty world. As we live well and move in that direction in the midst of brokenness. It has a big, big impact. And I recognize, too, that many of us here this morning struggle in the area of sexuality, or we know people that struggle. That's okay. But we want to pursue Christ in the midst of that. God's purpose in sexuality, just a couple thoughts. It's tied in with displaying his image in light of Genesis 1 and 2. Sexuality. Is God's idea. And when he gets done creating, Genesis 1, says, and God saw all that he made and it was good. It was very good. God's purpose and sexuality involves his glory. It involves the church and Christ representing the Christ, Christ and the church. Or the Christ and the church picturing it. And it involves reproduction, but not only physical, but also emotional, mental, spiritual, and how to live. God told Adam and Eve, you know, to fill the earth. That wasn't just to have people, but people who were responding emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and just living well in sensitivity to God. Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 2 for just a few moments. Again, thinking about holiness as it relate, relates to sexuality. Genesis 2. The text clearly states in well Genesis 1 and verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then we go over to chapter 2 and verse 24. This is when Adam saw Eve. In verse 23, he says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Before we get to Genesis 3, God created, and I realize that this is being written years later, the writer would say, a leaving, a uniting, and a one-flesh relationship. And the pattern in light of Genesis 2, as well as throughout Scripture, is a leaving, a uniting, a one-flesh And in Genesis 1 and 2, we have a male and a female involved. And in light of the thrust of Scripture, it's a permanent on earth while both are living. And again, I realize that in the world in which we live today, in the world in which Moses lived, and down through the ages of time, this was not always a reality. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. A contract, you do your end, and the other person does their end. If that doesn't happen, you know, you're out of it. But a covenant, you keep working even when the other person does not respond. It's a new social unit. That's a public ceremony. Again, that comes from various passages in the Old Testament. Sexual relationships are the consummation of oneness of mind, emotions, Finances, spirituality, and then God blesses that in that way. It's not a mere physical act, it's a consummation of oneness. Sexual relations in God's design are to be enjoyed. Read the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon has a lot to say, or just about the sexual relationship. Reproduction is obviously involved, but not just reproduction, uh, physical, but also character, emotions, mental, spiritual. And again, it involves picturing Christ and the church. And we want to turn over to passage in the New Testament. So we think about holiness and sexuality. And being holy, as Peter says, we are to be holy as God is holy. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning with verse 1. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul talked about the fact that there was, or this is who you are in Christ, you the foundation. And then in 4, 5, and 6, he's talking about doing, living it out. And in chapter 5, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, just as Such a man as an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Notice that he talks about the fact that believers, those in Christ, should be imitators of God. And that involves living a life of love. And it's in that context, he says, but, even, or but among you there must not even be a hint you know, sexual immorality, you know, of any kind of impurity, greed, because they're improper for God's holy people. And the holy people would tie in with what Peter says. And then he lists some other things that shouldn't be present. And as you think about First Peter 5, just a few moments to contrast love and idolatry in light of the passage. Love involves giving of yourself. Idolatry is taking for self. The focus of love is others. The focus of idolatry is self. Love is imitating God, according to verse 1. Idolatry involves imitating an idol. And as you read through the Psalms, you'll find that is brought up very clearly. Love involves God's blessing, Idolatry in light of the context involves God's wrath. And again, he's contrasting the two items. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I realize we're going from one text to another fairly quickly. But 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul wrote to address some issues, divisions in the church, immorality in the church, lawsuits among believers... And then in chapter 7 through the end of the book, it seems like he's addressing some questions that they may have had. And in chapter 7 and verse 1, Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to marry, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that. Just a couple of comments as we think about God's design. Immorality is acknowledged. He says in verse 2, but since there is so much immorality, that was in Corinth... It's true in our day and age. It was true in the day and age in which Peter also wrote. Notice he says that each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. He's dealing with you no know, a male and a female. And the focus in verse 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Each mate giving within the context of marriage fulfilling as Paul says, a duty. In verse 4, he brings out the fact that the husband's wife belongs to the wife and the wife's body belongs to the husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. And again, he's talking in the terms of sexuality, a sexual relationship. And the reality he says, don't withhold from your partner. If you do, it's only for prayer. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is commonly what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And he takes the law in a lot of respects from action to thought and desire. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You've heard that it has been said, do not commit idolatry. And again, he takes it from the action to the heart. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman... Not only addressing the act, he's addressing the heart attitude. As we think about the world and sexuality, the world has a consumer mindset taking. It's a selfish mindset. It's me. It's a world that uses people. It hurts. It destroys. God's view stands in contrast to that where there's a contributor, someone giving. There's a giving and a receiving. The world's point of view is to take. God says my view is to give and to receive. God's view involves other your mate's satisfaction and God's view is not using people but building mate your maiden holiness sexuality expressed outside of God's design destroys people and hurts so very very deeply. I don't think most of us have to be told that. We've either experienced it or someone we know has experienced it. That is outside of God's design. But it is in that context that Christ comes into play. He doesn't remove the hurt necessarily, but he can give grace to live through it and to help others There's some thoughts. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This includes a sexual relationship within marriage, but it's not limited that. There is great joy in giving. It's more blessed than to more blessed to give than to receive. Think about the context of God's design for sexuality to give not merely to receive but in life overall a giving and not merely a receiving the best defense I'm not saying the only but i think one of the best defenses against such sexual temptation is to develop a lifestyle of giving of love it brings satisfaction which deeply influences desire a child, as they are taught from little up and moving into the teenage years, to develop a lifestyle of giving, and I'm not talking sexually now, but a lifestyle of giving. That helps them to develop a view of what God says about sexuality. A teenager, an adult, who's developing a lifestyle of giving, and I say developing because we don't arrive has a tremendous impact on all kinds of temptation, not only sexual, but other kinds of temptation too. Giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. There's satisfaction, there's joy that comes in giving. And it impacts us deeply. Sexual relationships cannot satisfy, bring complete satisfaction. Expressed biblically, sex is one giving to his or her maiden light of experiencing Christ, that is God's giving. But it can't fully satisfy. If it did, our world should be pretty happy and content and satisfied. But it's empty in and of itself. And we need to understand that. That is why people go from one thing to another, because going outside of God's design does not bring satisfaction. It does not bring fulfillment. that's why there tends to be as portrayed in scripture a downward spiral away from God's design sex outside of God's design shows one is thirsty seeking to satisfy in that seeking to satisfy in that which God created rather than in God himself and in Christ Since the beginning of time, we have people that have pursued expressing their sexuality outside of God's design. But that does not satisfy. They're showing their thirst. When you see people, and we are bombarded with all kinds of sexuality in our country and if we're not careful, we can get angry and we want to lash out and attack people. But see them as thirsty people. Seeking to satisfy a thirst in a created thing, in any created expression, rather than in Christ or in God themselves. That makes a difference in how we live and respond to people. People. Desire for sex is not wrong. But how we respond is vital. As we live in our world today, expect some rejection, some resistance, some alienation as you seek to live holy in God's design for your sexuality. That's just going to happen. Because the world at large is going a different direction. We don't need to resist. We don't need to fight. Rather, we offer forgiveness and healing in Christ. A couple practical pointers. I'm just striving to be holy. Be content in how God created you. Are a you're a male, whether you're female, whether you're short or you're tall. You're good-looking or not so good-looking. Smart, not so smart. God, I want to be content in who I am in Christ. Be accountable. Some people may not need that. If it's necessary, be accountable to another member of the body of Christ or a number of members of the body of Christ. And how you live and how you respond. I remember years ago, I said to you as a congregation, any of you may check my computer anytime you want to see what I'm doing with my computer. You may ask any question you want about my life. I express that for a definite reason. I need the accountability then and now because I want to be holy as God is holy. And within the body, we need that. An encouragement, run, run, run from every form of sexuality that is not in God's design. But yet, we're tempted. And James would tell us not to let the temptation give birth to sin. It may be a movie, it may be TV, it may be a phone, it may be pornography, it may be a conversation, it might be a magazine, it might be a book, it might be the computer. Be holy, necessary run. Some of you may recognize a name. He is going to be with the Lord, Jerry Bridges. who had written a number of quite a few books, just living for God. And in one of his books, he said, I don't go to the beach. He said, I can't go to the beach. He's not saying this for anyone else. He's just saying for himself, I don't go to the beach. He said, it's too hard for me. The temptation is too great. What was he doing? He's running. He's not saying it's wrong to go to the beach. He's just saying for himself, I run. And if you're on the computer at all, you don't need to be in the computer very long to know that there's a lot there that you don't even look for. Run. Think much upon Christ, in Christ, position in Christ, your are new, new identity. Peter says you're God's elect if you've come to faith in Christ. You've experienced the uh, Holy Spirit. You're experiencing the... Blood of Christ. You have an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade away, and so on. Who you are in Christ. That's, again, it means. Deal with your inside attitudes, thoughts, motives, and beliefs. And then outside actions and words. Deal with the inside. and Many times the outside falls into place. But again, that's a battle. Those of us who have experienced the incorrect use of, or incorrect expression of sexuality. We'll have to come back time and time again to Christ and who you are in Christ and dealing with your thoughts and attitudes and so on so that there's not a bitterness, a hatred building up in you, but you're seeking to address it in a wise manner. If necessary, do away with your computer or phone or TV for a while. If necessary. I'm just saying, you know, it might be better to do away with that than to continue the temptation. Beware of letting others determine what you feed your mind. Whether it be TV, movies, radio. And when you choose to watch a certain movie, watch a certain TV program... You're letting others determine what is your mind is being fed. And if you know it's questionable, it might be best to walk away from it for God's glory. As we wrap it up this morning, I want to make it very clear that God has a design. And that design has been marred over and over again. And some of us here have experienced the marring of that design because of how others have responded to us. But in the midst of that, Christ offers grace. He offers power. He offers enablement. That's one aspect of it. But another aspect is that as humans, we're tempted to go the way of the world, the way the enemy might want us to go, or the way of our own sinful nature. And God has again provided the resources for us to live and respond in a godly way. There's no need to express all that the world does. There's no need for us to attack the world. Seek to live in sensitivity to God. Moment by moment, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of pain, That comes from the past. In the midst of failure at times. Coming back to God again and again. And some people may say, Pastor, why even address holiness and sexuality? And a big reason is, and I gave some other reasons earlier, is that we're all bombarded with it. We should speak about what God speaks. We should speak about what God has created and seek to be responding in a God-honoring way. Be holy as I am holy. Let's pray together. Father, I know in some ways a difficult subject to address in terms of being holiness, being self-controlled and so on. But we desire to be holy and as we read the old testament in the context of being holy there's chapters devoted to being holy and then you just go on with verse after verse after verse about sexuality so we're addressing something that is very real and practical as you gave the law and it's from the law that peter quotes to be holy as i am holy may we And how to be grace givers. May we understand your power at work in us. Whether we're tempted. Whether there's been. Abuse in the past. That we experience Christ. We're seeking to portray. Your design. To a world that is. Struggling and hurting. That is thirsty. Give us open doors, Father, with grace. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.